before I get started and we listen to another sermon, for many of you, you've sat in church so many months and years and listened to so many sermons. I just want to take a minute and just pause for just a second. I think sometimes we could take for granted or miss what a privilege it is to be able to lift high the name of Jesus amongst family, amongst friends, with good music. How many of you are thankful for this talented team that leads us in worship? But I just think about the underground church all over the world. I think about other believers all over the world. And, and if they could experience what we get to experience week in and week out, so would we just one more time, to God in this place, let's just praise him with our mouths. God, we praise you, we adore you, we lift you up. You are worthy of our praise in this place. And when we, God, to you, we're gonna continue to worship, not now in song, but as we sit under the teaching of your word. How many of you are anticipated and excited about sitting under the teaching of God's word and worshiping him through the teaching of God's word. All right, well, we are in a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Mark. If you're brand new, welcome. Welcome to Hope Church. We're so glad you've joined us. Take a deep breath. You don't got to be intimidated. You are surrounded by a bunch of people who know they are sinners in need of a Savior. So just relax. We don't got it all together as much as it may look like. Okay. We are walking verse by verse through the book of Mark. If you're new to Bible study, there are four autobiographical accounts of Jesus's life in the Bible, in the scriptures. And so in the New Testament, there are four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are each accounts of Jesus's life. And Mark is the shortest account. It's the fastest moving account, but it's probably going to take us about three or four years to get through. So just keep hanging out with us as we go along. And today's portion of scripture that we're going to read uh, is going to answer, I believe, answer this question for us. So I'm going to jump right into our tension question for today. It's simply this. How can I prevent distractions from deterring me from God's purposes for my life? How can I, how can we prevent the distractions in this world from getting in the way of what God wants to do in us and through our lives? Now, we might not think distractions are an important thing as it relates to our walk with Jesus, but we all would say that when it comes to driving a car, distractions could be catastrophic for yourself and for the people around you. Someone say amen. If you have the distraction of your phone, of the kids, of whatever's going on, it could be catastrophic. And some of you have actually experienced the negative effects of distractions as it relates to driving. But I would submit to you that distractions have just as much an ability to impact our walk with Jesus like they have in driving a car. I want to say it this way. Why does this matter? Many Jesus followers today severely underestimate the detrimental impact of distractions on their relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to get to the text in just a minute, but before we do, 
want to have a little conversation about distractions. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, she was a Dutch watchmaker. She was a Christian writer. Her and her family were pivotal in helping many Jews during the Holocaust. And this is what she had to say about distractions. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Some of you have heard that before. That if I can't get the followers of Jesus, the enemy saying, I can't get them to do bad things. I'll just get them to be distracted from doing the best thing. I'll just soothe them, as Pastor Scott talked about a few weeks ago. I'll lull them to sleep, not with overt sins, but just with the distractions of the world. And so I want to take just a few moments to talk about some distractions that I think are plaguing the church today. And I get these distractions not because generally this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about as I've uh, had the privilege of being a pastor here at Hope Church over the last year. As I've prayed for many of you up front and got to know many of you, I have picked up that these are some of the distractions that you struggle with. These are definitely some of the distractions that I struggle with. And so if you're ready for some distractions today, can you say I'm ready? ready. Come on, 1030. It's hot out there. We want to enjoy this air conditioning. Let's just, come on, if you're ready, say I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Distraction number one, suburban selfishness. Come on, somebody, let's talk about it. Suburban selfishness. And not that if you've come from an urban environment, you can't be selfish. I've just come to realize, as just over this last week, we are so blessed. My wife and I were able to purchase a first home right here in Vegas. We moved in. Yes. But suburban selfishness is just creeping on in. What do I mean? Let's talk about Costco for just a minute. Let's just talk about Costco. Nothing screams suburban selfishness like everything supersized. Everything you need, every product in your home you want. My wife, we're walking through an I Costco, and it's just, we need it all. I need everything. And I know I already got one, but I see it and I want another one and I want a better one and this one's on sale. Anyone can relate to Costco just grabbing your heart every now and then. Walmart, Target, Crate and Barrel, I don't know what it is for you. Suburban selfishness, someone say Amazon Prime, come on somebody. <laughs> Nothing screams suburban selfishness like I don't even wanna leave my home to interact with anyone, just send it to my house. Prime. Isn't there something even faster than Prime? Amazon right now or something? Amazon drone to your house? I don't know. Nothing screams suburban selfishness like Netflix. Come on, somebody. Show after show after show. Bowl of ice cream after bowl of ice cream. I'm not getting on you. I enjoy all those things. But how many of you would agree that this suburban, comfortable living could be a distraction to what God wants to do in and through our lives. Because if we're not careful, our whole world becomes about me, myself, and I, get all the comforts, come home, close the garage, never think about anyone else until I have to leave the house again. Just me? Someone say amen. You with me? You with me? Suburban selfishness. Consumption is what I'm talking about. Uh, you guys want another one? Yeah, you do. Let's put up another one. 
Polarizing politics. Ooh, let's just have fun at Hope Church today. Come on. Polarizing politics. Being distracted by issues on the far left and the far right and spending all your time on YouTube finding the perfect video that proves why what you believe is true. Controversies. Even this past week with all the discussion about what happened around the Capitol Hill building. Ed, are you actually talking about my life today? I absolutely am, 1030. I'm coming right for your homes. Because why? The scripture over 2,000 years ago, look at the way it said. 2 Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed corals. Some of you without even knowing it. You've been distracted by God's perfect will for your life because you're more passionate about your cause than the beauty of Jesus Christ. And if you have more posts and shares about your cause than the beauty of Christ, you have a distraction problem. Controversies. Nothing to do in the Greek. You know what it means? Nothing Nothing to do. Very right. (laughs) Nothing to do. Let's go one more because I know you're enjoying this so much. Comfortable Christianity. Who would have thought that Christianity could actually be, the routines of Christianity could be a distraction? I'll tell you how. You go to church so many times, there's some of us, you could literally sing songs, raise your hands in service, take some notes, and have no connection with God throughout the whole service. Because it was just routine. You could do all those things while thinking about lunch. <laughs> I know it. I know it. You're here. Amen. But lunch is on the mind. You could go to small groups, answer all the right questions in the group, and have no meaningful connection with God. Routine. And for my Star Wars fans, it's a trap. It's a trap. All these things, they're a trap of the enemy to distract us from God's perfect will for our lives. And as I put these up, which one of these things might be the trap, a trap for you? Is it consumption? Is it the controversies, the polarizing politics that's out there? Is it the routine of Christianity? If anything was to siphon off to steal God's perfect will for your life, which one of these things may be the culprit? The good news is, the scripture that we're gonna look at today, what we're gonna see is a portrait of Jesus, a small portrait of Jesus' life. And I think if we lean in to how Jesus behaved while he was on the earth, I think if we look at some of Jesus' priorities, we might overcome and be able to overcome some of these distractions that I'm talking about today. So Mark 135 through 39 is where we're going to be at. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. If you want to go open up your apps, go ahead and turn there. Mark 135 to 39. Now, just to catch you up to the context of what we're about to read... Last week in our message, we took a look at Jesus' first uh, public ministry right there in the book of Mark. So last week, he's teaching in the synagogue, in the church, on a Sabbath day. 
He's teaching and preaching the word of God, and the people there are astonished at his teaching. He's teaching as one who had authority. He then heals some folks who are filled by demons, and then he heals some people who are sick. And it's on the heels of that long day of ministry, many commentators say what Mark writes next happens the very next morning after that full day of ministry. Let's take a look at what Mark says. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Just a few verses this week. And what do we learn from these verses? What, what do these verses mean? What's the interpretation of these verses and how does it apply to our lives? Well, here's the roadmap for today. Here's where we're going. I like to provide an outline so you know when I'm done and you can get ready to go. Jesus' prioritized passion. That's what we're gonna look at first. These scriptures show very clearly what Jesus' passion was. The disciples' ignorant interruption. We're going to see they interrupted Jesus. Why was it ignorant? Why was it a distraction? Why was it a potential obstacle? And then finally, Jesus' primary purpose. After Jesus' primary purpose, we're going to connect it to our lives. We're going to respond, sing a final song, and then we're all going to go to Costco. How's that sound? <laughs> all right, let's look first at Jesus' prioritized passion. Let's go back into the text. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He prayed. Jesus prioritized prayer. I don't know about you, but if I was following a day of intense ministry, just like for, for many pastors, Sundays, intense days of ministry, getting up early before the sun rises, I don't know about you, but it ain't morning if the sun hasn't risen yet for me. That means it's still nighttime. He got up before the sun came out, while it was still dark, went to a desolate place, a wilderness place. I want you to notice here the priority. It's the first thing he did, the intentionality. He went off somewhere and he spent time with the Lord. But I want us to see here that this just wasn't what Jesus did every now and then. I want you to see how this lifestyle of prayer and having communion and conversation with God, it was the pattern of Jesus's life. Let's just take a look at a quick overview, a portrait of Jesus's prayer life. The Luke account of when Jesus got baptized, when Luke writes down the story, he talks about how Jesus was praying right before he got baptized. Before he chose the 12 disciples, Jesus prayed. Before teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus was praying. After performing miracles, walking on the water, feeding the 5,000, he prayed. Before going to the cross, he was in the garden. Father, Father, take this cup from me. Please, I don't want to go to the cross. He was praying. And finally, on the cross, our suffering Savior. Literally praying for the people who were crucifying him. What did he say? Father, 
forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' life was characterized by having conversation with God. And you might say at this point, why did Jesus need to pray? Wouldn't that be a good question? Is that just an honest question? Why did Jesus need to pray? If he was God, why did Jesus need to pray while he was on the earth? And so I'm going to put a statement up here, and I'm going to unpack it for us. And here we go. Jesus' prioritized passion, being with God, had as much to do with Jesus being God as anything Jesus did for God. Let me say that again. None of you said amen. You're probably days Okay. Being with the Lord in conversation with God, taking time away to be with God, had as much to do with Jesus being God as the miracles, as the resurrection, as the healings. Spending time alone with the Father was just as important to Jesus being God as all the other God-sized things he did. Is that clear? Yes or yes? Okay, good choice. Jesus' humanity required intimacy with the Father. Jesus' divinity desired it. Okay, what am I saying here? Jesus' humanity required intimacy with the Father. Now remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's a big theological truth. If you don't understand that entirely, Pastor Chip, after service, he'll explain it to you perfectly. (laughs) Fully God, fully man. Now, the man side of Jesus needed to pray, required him to pray, because to do the miracles, to live the holy life, to have the strength, to to relate to the emotions, the human side of Jesus needed to pray. It required it. But the divine side of Jesus didn't need to pray, but the divine side of Jesus wanted it. Why? Because from eternity past, Jesus was in a perfect union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is three distinct persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so they had this perfect relationship. Jesus comes to earth, and to keep that relationship going while on earth, he continues to have conversation with the Father. This is why it was his passion, not only because he needed it as a human, but he desired it as God. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Some of you are lying, but it's okay. (laughs) Jesus' prioritized passion, being alone with the Father. Communion, time alone with God. Let's keep the outline moving. The disciples' ignorant interruption. What was this distraction? We're building this message around distractions and obstacles. What is the distraction that Jesus gets presented with? Let's take a look. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So it's early in the morning. And everyone, because they had witnessed healings and provisions and demons being cast out, They woke up the next morning and everyone is looking for Jesus. So the disciples go to find Jesus and interrupt him to say, everyone is looking for you. Let's all say rude. Rude. 
Ruth, that's Jesus' God time. Come on, he's spending time with the Father, being interrupted. But you might say, why is this a distraction? So I need some commentators to help me understand this portion of Scripture. R.C. Sproul, he says it this way. This was a thinly veiled rebuke. They were saying in essence, where have you been, Jesus? You do not have time to seclude yourself in prayer. You have ministry to perform. Your fame is spreading everywhere, and the place is filled with seekers. He had just performed miracles. People wanted more. Don't you find it interesting how ministry at times could be a stumbling block to intimacy with God? Doing work for God could be the very thing that distracts you from time with God. And at times, time with God is way more important than anything you could do for God. R. Kent Hughes says it this way. They pursued him, and when they found him, they mildly reproached him. They got mad at him. They called him out. The idea was, Jesus, things are going great after last night. Let's get back and capitalize on it. Business was good. Let's keep the doors open. You don't got no time to pray. Here's how I summarize this ignorant interruption. The disciples were more interested in the urgent needs of the people rather than the ultimate purpose of Christ. So they were there in Capernaum. And those are where the disciples grew up. That's where they were from. That's their hometown. And so the disciples were most interested in the needs of their people. But Jesus came for a much larger reason than healing and providing provision for the needs of just one town. He had a bigger purpose for why he came to the earth. And I'm so glad at this point I could hear you saying it to me, Ed, what is that purpose? Pastor, tell me about that purpose. Right? That's what you guys are thinking right now? Oh, man, rough crowd. <laughs> Let's look at the purpose. Jesus' primary purpose. What was it? If he didn't come to heal, why, why is it saying, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Why is that a problem? Look how Jesus responds. Gives us insight into his purpose. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. There's other places that need my ministry. And there's not only other places that need my ministry, there's other places that need a specific type of ministry. What is it? That I may preach, for that is why I came out. I need to go to other towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And let me just be very specific. What did Jesus come to preach? He said it in Mark 1. Let me remind you. 115, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me make it very clear to you. I know we have some folks here who are new to Bible study. When Jesus came, he did not come primarily to do miracles, heal people, turn fish into bread. The reason why he did all of that was point, pointing to point to the bigger miracle that he was God. And that as God, he was going to live the perfect life that we could never live, die on the cross to pay the price for our sin, and then raise from the dead to defeat hell, Satan, the grave, 
And through faith in him, we could have forgiveness of sin and have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the message that Jesus came to provide. That's the message that he came to preach. How many of you are thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And who is that message for? What does Jesus say? I have come, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. People who did not know Jesus, people who did not, he didn't come to seek and save those who had leprosy. It wasn't just to do miracles, those who are hungry, no. Primarily, it was spiritual lostness that Jesus was concerned with, not physical malfunction. You with me? With you, with you. So let me summarize it saying this way, Jesus' primary purpose, everlasting life for everyone, everywhere. Not a comfortable life for some in some places. Jesus didn't come, and this might be a newsflash to the church today, Jesus did not ultimately come to make our lives more comfortable. He came to give us eternal life. So even if we have an uncomfortable life now, we can have it with him in our lives and in the next life, have all the comfort in the world, praising and glorifying our Father in heaven. Now, let me just summarize all three points. Just in case you're falling asleep, you're not interested, here's the biblical interpretation I believe my best effort, Mark 1, 35 through 39, what does it mean? In short, Jesus' prioritized passion, intimacy with the Father. The disciples' ignorant interruption, the physical needs of the locals. Jesus' primary purpose, the spiritual need of everyone, everywhere. Is that clear to anyone? Say that's clear. Okay, that's okay. That's the interpretation. Now, here's the problem with just stopping here. If you go to work tomorrow and you say, guess what? Guess what I learned in church? Jesus prioritized passion was intimacy with the Father. Disciples ignorant interruption was physical needs of locals. And Jesus' primary person was spiritual need of everyone everywhere. They're going to look at you and say, what? Who cares? Who cares? And I mean, if, if we're being honest, it's great to understand this about the scripture. But what does this mean for a teenager in 2022? What does this mean for a single person in 2022? What does this mean for a married couple in 2022? What does this mean for you? And I'm just going to spend the balance of my time unpacking. Great. Here's what the scripture says. What does it mean for followers of Christ today? Well, I want to say it a couple of ways. I'm going to put a quote on the screen in just a minute of a, of a Jesus follower devotional. For those of you who've been around Hope Church for any length of time, this church has a very popular teaching series called The Life of a Jesus Follower. For those of you who've ever been through a Life of a Follower Jesus series, would you raise your hands nice and high so we could see? Okay, so you can see some of the room here, Life of a Follower Jesus series. And it talks about the importance of abiding in Jesus, connecting in community, sharing in the mission, but it starts with abiding in Jesus, spending time with Jesus. And here's what the Jesus Follower devotional has to say. Let me read it for you as we now talk about the connection to our lives. As we grow closer to God in communion and devotion each day, we look outward with him to the harvest in the world. As we gain a heart for him, he gives us a heart for the world. As we fall in love with the king, we will want others to know him and love him as well. 
we will begin to, to develop a love for the things that he loves. One more time here in the yellow. As we gain a heart for him, he gives us his heart for the world. Let's stop right here for just a second. Jesus followers in the room, because I know not everyone is following Jesus. Some of you are just checking things out, and we're so glad you're here. But if you claim to be a Jesus follower, and if you ever wonder, why don't I have a heart for the world? Why am I just so suburbanly selfish? Why do I get caught up so easily in political controversies? Why have I got swept up in the routine of Christianity? And if the truth be told, I don't ever care about anyone else's spiritual needs than my own. And I would submit to you, it's because we lack intimacy with God. We have not spent enough time drawing near to the heart of God because I know there's no way to draw near to the heart of God and not also have our hearts broken for what breaks his heart. And so if we, and I'm throwing myself right there in you, with you, because I at times have lacked a heart for the world, I could trace it right back to a lack of time with God. Here's the application statement. I say it this way. Intimacy with the Father precedes clarity, commitment, and conviction towards his mission in the world. And so, I'm just going to spend some time as we close just asking some questions. We're going to provide some hope with the gospel, but I've got to ask some questions because I love you and because I want God's best for you. And so, Hopefully, these are questions like you could actually discuss in your small group this week, maybe in your family as you go out to lunch. These are questions you could actually discuss. Here's the first one. How is the quantity and quality of your God time? What is God time? That's language that we use here at Hope. God time is how we say it's intentional time where you get away Get your Bible, you pray, you journal, you read the word, you seek God in an intentional way, God time each and every day in the scriptures. For the followers of Jesus Christ in the room, how is it going? And for those of you who it's going well for, praise God that you have this discipline and there's a desire in your heart. But I, I've been around Christians all my life. I've been one for much of my life. And let me just tell you this, the consistency of it, it could be hard for me. I don't like to wake up early in the morning. Someone say amen. I like to read my Bible like midday or something like that. And not that it's not, you could read it at any point in the day, but I have struggled at times with the consistent pattern of seeking the Lord and reading the Bible and praying. And I know in a room of this size, I'm not the only one. 
And you've got to know some of the malnourishment you feel in your walk with Jesus. Some of the, your, why am I just giving into distractions? Why am I letting the things of this world dominate my mind? I've got to tell you, with all love, it's traced back to our lack of time reading God's word. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Wouldn't you agree? Come on, come on, come on. We don't, we're about to be done. You're going to go on with the rest of your day. Let's lock in for a few more minutes. Wouldn't you agree that the things of this world only leave you wanting more? They don't ultimately satisfy your hunger. It doesn't matter how many movies we watch. It doesn't matter how many good meals we sit down at. Do you, can you just, isn't it crazy? You'll sit down at a meal, all the great places here to eat in Vegas, and you got at the end of your meal, oh, I'm never going to eat again. That's as much as I can take. And then you go to sleep, and the next morning, I'm starving. I'm starving. <laughs> that is a picture of what our life looks like if we're not in the word of God. <sighs> okay, just... I love Air Jordan tennis shoes. I do. You know it. You see them. But can I just tell you, every time I think just one more pair, just one more pair is going to do it for me. It doesn't. I always need another one. And you, whatever it is for you, Jesus says, I am the living water. He who comes to me will never go thirsty. This isn't some, ah, you need to read your Bible more. I'm getting on. No, some of you. You are thirsty. You are spiritually dry. And instead of the living water that is Jesus, just like a cold glass of water on this 158-degree Las Vegas weather, you're drinking Coca-Colas trying to satiate your thirst. And how many of you would agree Coca-Cola doesn't do it? Maybe the first, man, that first sip of a Coke, though. Come on, somebody. Ice-cold Coke. That first sip, but by that last sip, he's like, <laughs> give me some water. And let me just tell you, church family, you get in front of the word of God on a consistent basis, and you're going to have streams of living water flowing through your soul. Read your word. Let me give you some quick, let me just some handles here. Three keys to a good God time, really practical, because I know some of you, you're just getting started. Pick a time. When are you going to do this? You can hold me to this. I'm drawing a line in the sand, even for myself. 7 a.m., oh God, 7 a.m., I'm going for it. 7 a.m., consistent time, intentional place. Where can you go in your home every single day, every single morning, before everything else, to spend time with God, a specific scripture? Most of us struggle with a consistent time with God because time with God because we don't have a plan. And so our day just happens. And so I want to um, just say here, specific scripture. Man, Mark, we're reading through the book of Mark. We're studying through the book of Mark. Mark is a great place. And I know some of you don't want to get into the scripture because you're like, oh, it's so hard. I don't understand it. I just encourage you, there's a method of Bible reading that I like to use. I just read until I feel like something just leaps off the page. 
It's not about getting through a chapter. It's, got to get, it's just reading until I feel like, wow, I think God is speaking to me. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And you read, has anyone else been there? You read your Bible, you do your quiet time, and it's crickets, nothing. It's okay. That doesn't mean God isn't working and the Bible isn't real and living and active. It just means that maybe right now, there's not something that God wants to say to you in that moment. And it's just the discipline over time becomes a powerful force for good in you following the Lord, loving the Lord, obeying his commands. Time, place, scripture. Here's a couple other questions and we'll close with the gospel. What are the distractions to you having a quality God time? Got to know what your distractions are. I know for me, I probably get to bed way too late. So then I don't wake up early in the morning to seek the Lord. For some of you, the distraction is your phone. First thing in the morning, what do you do? You roll over, got all the gunk in your eye, and first thing, let me just see what happened on social media last night. I can't miss a thing. Let me scroll. Don't eat. For those of you who wear glasses, you don't even put your glasses on. Just phone's right up on your face just like this. Ed, how did you know? Because that's me. That's me, guys. It's me. Checking your bank accounts before you read your Bible. Some of you, you know, and, and my wife and I don't have kids, so you might say, well, yeah. But your kids, your kids are the distraction. I got to provide for them. I got to get them ready. I got to, and you do. And yes, please don't leave your kids. But the best gift that you could give your kids, parents, is intimate time with the Father. Are you loving them as parents out of the overflow of your time with God? Or are you loving them out of the deficit of not having spent time with Jesus? Your children need you to have time with God. That's what they need most. Finally, whose spiritual needs concern you other than yours and your family? What people group of the world does your heart break for? What neighborhood does your heart break for? Or is it just my house in my corner of the world? Now, there's two ways we could leave today. You could leave feeling condemned. Oh, gosh, I don't care about anyone. I never read my Bible. Gosh, I'm really in trouble. <laughs> Went to church just to get a guilt trip. <laughs> or you could leave empowered by the good news of Jesus Christ. Who wants to be empowered by the good news of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Let me draw you to a prayer by Jesus on the cross. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? While Jesus was on the cross, because he was bearing the sin of all humanity, past, present, and future, because he was bearing the sin of all humanity, God had to turn his back on Jesus. So Jesus 
from eternity past had never experienced being abandoned by God. But because he had the sin of the world on his shoulders, God had to turn his back on our Savior. But the good news, friends, is that God turned his back on Jesus once so we could have a face-to-face relationship with God for all of our lives. Face-to-face relationship with God. Through faith in Jesus, we don't ever have to worry about God turning his back on us. Even if we haven't done our quiet time for months, someone say amen. Some of you, you haven't read the Bible in a long, long time. And I want to tell you, if you have faith in Jesus, God has nothing but love for you. Nothing but compassion for you. And he says to you on this day, come back home, open it up today, and I'm going to meet you there. Jesus was forsaken once. Jesus had his back turned on by God once so that we could have the confidence that he'd never turn his back on us. And so now out of the overflow of the good news of what God did for us through Jesus, we get back up again. Would you bow your heads and let's pray and prepare our hearts to respond. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would all receive your forgiveness in a fresh way for the ways in which we have not pursued you. We've actually fooled ourselves as followers of Jesus that we could do this Jesus-following thing without reading your word, without talking to you in prayer. And for that, God, we just say, forgive us. And empower us by your spirit to desire to meet with you on a more consistent basis. Lord, as there's opportunity to respond now, would you move in this place? Let's not just do the routine of a closing song, but Holy Spirit of God, for those in this room that you are speaking to, that this message was for them. Lord, I pray that they would respond in obedience to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you leave, we're going to sing a final song of worship unto God. I hope many of you, in light of the good news of the gospel that was just proclaimed, that you worship God because he's worthy of your praise. Others of you, here's a specific invitation. If you're here in the room today, and you see that's great, specific time, specific place, scripture, yeah, yeah, but Ed, I just know once life starts rolling, I'm not going to stick to it. I'm not going to stick to it like I stick to my sports. Uh-oh. I'm not going to stick to it like I stick to my favorite shows. It's just going to get pushed aside. And if you're here today, and if the Holy Spirit is just speaking in your life, and you say, I want a divine desire to commune with Jesus, to read my Bible. I want my fleshly desires for the comforts of this world to be replaced by a divine desire to meet with Jesus through the reading of his word and through prayer. 
If you just say, I need God to do that in me. I can't just leave here and just try harder, pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I need God to give me a divine desire. If that's you, pastors are gonna be in the front in just a moment. You can come up to one of us and just say, can you pray that God would give me a divine desire? Or if you just wanna kneel at this altar and cry out, God, I'm thirsty. My job is not doing it. My marriage is not doing it. The kids aren't doing it. Religion isn't doing it. God, I need you. I want to meet you in your word. If that's the cry of your heart, come down to these altars and just say, God, give me that desire. And finally, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, this good news of being able to be forgiven for your sins, Jesus living the perfect life on your behalf. If you've never placed your faith in what Jesus did for you, come up to one of the pastors. Go to the guest services desk. Let us know. I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. We would love to help you with that. This isn't a time for you to leave. This is a time for us to worship God as a church family, to worship as we respond and pray, kneel, whatever it is you have to do. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in our hearts as we um, end our service now. Praise you.